podcast where we get together and talk about what it means to live a Christian life in the 21st century. Now, usually the podcast is broken up into two parts. In the first part, we look at a news story, something that's going on in the culture, and usually we try to look at it from a standpoint of what it means as far as Christians and non-Christians interacting, mixing together, sometimes conflicting, all those issues that come up so often in the Christian life, especially nowadays. We look at those, and in the second section, we look at a scripture passage, just try to get a little word from the Lord, a little bit of God's heart for us. Usually it's just me talking to myself about my Christian life, and I just hope that it's something you can relate to also. I think many times it is. So we're going to get started. If you have any questions or comments or responses to anything you hear, I'd love to hear from you. All you need to do to get in touch with me is either go to the blog that's attached to this podcast, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com, or you can email me at nftw at sbcglobal.net, and I do love to hear from you. So now let's jump into something from the news. Okay, in the news today, well, the big event, obviously, that's gone on in the last few days is the presidential election here in the United States. Big news, not just here, but all over the world. And our next president is going to be Senator Barack Obama. I'm sure you knew that already, but I'll just say it for you again. And seen a lot of reactions, been a lot of excitement from Obama supporters, even some people that you wouldn't necessarily expect. A lot of uh, Christians voted for Obama. And also there's been a lot of fear about what the presidency of Barack Obama would mean. From my perspective, I understand the historic aspect of having an African-American president, especially since uh, my children are African-American. I have a uh, kind of an affinity here for what that means, especially I'll tell you just a little story. Uh, We were watching Barack Obama's acceptance speech in Chicago on Tuesday night, and my son, who's biracial and who's six, I looked at him and he said, Daddy, he has skin same color as mine. And he was kind of excited by that. And he understands what uh, some of the differences between how we feel about things, especially things like abortion and how Obama feels about them. But it was exciting to him to see someone who was going to be president uh, who had the same skin color as him. So I understand the, the excitement from that perspective. But the fact is that we don't really know what kind of a president he's going to be. And so all a lot of us that are caught up in the real hype and the excitement over the election or a lot of fear over the election, most of that is completely unfounded because right now we don't really know what it's going to mean. But I found this great blog post that was written by a man named Wyman Richardson, and he's a pastor at First Baptist in Dawson, Georgia. I just wanted to read it for you because I think he really puts in perspective what an election means uh, for a believer. And uh, here's what he says. He says, Dear friends, for months now my email inbox has been besieged by nearly hysterical warnings about what will happen if if Barack Obama becomes president. I've been encouraged to be worried, afraid, concerned, prepared for disaster, and a whole host of other maladies if it happens. I do not deny the importance of this election, but it seems to me that we need a dose of perspective. Uh, So here is a a true-false test. And it says, I'd like for all of us to take it. And here are the questions on the true-false test. True or false, the day after the election, regardless of who wins, Jesus will still be king. 
True or false, the day after the election, regardless of who wins, our responsibilities as Christians will not have changed one iota. True or false, the day after the election, regardless of who wins, the greatest agent for social change in America will still be winning the hearts and minds of men and women through the gospel, not legislation. The day after the election, true or false, regardless of who wins, the tomb will still be empty. True or false, the day after the election, regardless of who wins, my primary citizenship will be in this order. One, the kingdom of God, and two, America, not vice versa. Regardless of who wins the day after the election, our children will still be more concerned with whether or not we spend time with them than with who is president. True or false, regardless of who wins, my neighbor, my neighbor will still be my neighbor, and loving him or her will still be the second greatest commandment. True or false, regardless of who wins, the only way to see abortion, abortion ultimately overturned will still be winning men and women to a high view of life through the gospel of Christ. True or false, the only way to see gay marriage ultimately defeated will still be winning men and women to a biblical view of marriage through the gospel of Christ. True or false, my retirement will still not match my treasure in heaven. True or false, regardless of who wins Jesus as Lord, will still be the greatest truth in the universe. And lastly, true or false, regardless of who wins the day after the election, we will still know that God is in control. And man, that is that is really true. There's a lot of truth there. I'm going to link to this blog post on the Notes from the Way blog, so come to it and, and look at it for yourself. But man, there's a lot of truth there. We need to remember that the gospel is still the most powerful force in the universe, not legislation and not presidential politics that the gospel of jesus christ is what really changes hearts and minds and lives and that god is still in control and that's a good way to look at the election not that it's not important but ultimately what's important is the fact that god is still on the throne and he still saves men and women through the gospel of jesus christ now let's look at first peter chapter 1 verses 17 through 21 Okay, now from 1 Peter, something we've been looking at for the last several weeks. I'm going to start reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 17. It says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, uh, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed uh, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that's reading through verse 21, and it really strikes me when I read a passage like this that in many ways I live my life without God. In fact, sometimes I refer to it as I live my life as a Christian atheist. Now, what do I mean by that? Because that's kind of a radical term. Whenever we throw the term atheist around, it's usually not a good thing. And it's certainly not a good thing here, but I think sometimes it applies to how I live and probably to how you live too, at least for many of us. What does it mean to live as a Christian atheist? Well, what it means is that it's a believer 
whose life doesn't depend on God. In other words, it's not somebody who is an unbeliever, somebody who's out in the world. It's somebody who is a Christian, but who lives life as though God isn't involved. Maybe rather than being a Christian atheist, it's a Christian deist, if you want to think of it in those terms, uh, from the religion that was very popular maybe in the 18th century, deism. It's relying on ourselves. It's relying on our money, on our finances, on our family. It may even be relying on our church for faith and for what we put our trust in. It's this idea that I'm in control of my life and what's going on. I read a, a quote just recently from a pastor of a large church, and he said that his church was run so efficiently and so well that if the Holy Spirit left the church altogether, that it could run by itself for at least a month, and nobody would even know the Holy Spirit was gone. I believe he was joking, but you know, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of us live our lives in such a way that if the Holy Spirit wasn't in us, would we even know the difference? Would we even realize what was going on? But you know, that's not the Christian way to live. That's the way pagans and unbelievers, maybe I shouldn't use the word pagans, the way unbelievers, that's the way they live their lives. That's the way they live because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have Christ in them, working through them. But it's not the Christian way to live. In verse 21 here of First Peter chapter 1, it says, Through him, through Jesus, you believe in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. And that's the way we should be living, is that we have a hope and a faith that's in God. And it's not a, a blind faith. It's not something where we're just saying, oh man, I'm going to take a flyer on God. Hopefully, hopefully he'll come through for me. It's not wishful thinking. There's some big being up in the sky that's going to take care of me someday. But it's really based on God's proven control over the situation, over our lives, over the universe. I mean, look at what he says here. It says that he planned salvation even before the beginning of the world. Uh, that's verse 20. says that Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last days for your sake. The thought here is that Christ, the death of Christ was not an accident in any way, shape, or form. But it was the actual planned counsel and action of God working from before creation to the very time of the cross and the resurrection that he was working through all the things that were happening in the world. And think about all the moving pieces that you have, not just in the state of Israel or the country or the nation of Israel, but the Romans and the Greeks and the Persians and all these different things that had to come together and all the people that had to be in place for all that to work. God was working through all of those things to bring about the death of his son, which would bring about the salvation that he gave to us and to all those that believe in him. So that salvation was was bought, he says, not with things that we consider precious, like silver and gold, but God shows that he's in control and that also that he paid the most precious, expensive price in the universe, which was the blood of his son, to bring about salvation for us. So really, when we say we have faith in Christ and our hope and our faith are in God because of Christ, it's really the logical, rational response for believers. It's the only thing that makes sense. It doesn't make sense for us to go our own way because Christ is the way. To go our own way, to make our own path, is really to go against who we are and to go against what we know is true. We know that God is in control and we know that he is able to do and to act and to will the things that are best for us and glorifying to him. And for us to live another way really doesn't make any sense at all as believers in Christ.
So what does this mean? You know, what's the upshot of this? What is what is all this? If we put it together, what it means is the beginning of living as a Christian, not living as an atheist, but living as a Christian is giving up control. It's giving up the control. It's giving up the idea that I am going to determine what happens. That I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to knock on enough doors. And I'm going to beat down enough things. And I'm going to make it happen what I need to happen in my life. And really, that's what saying Jesus is Lord. You know the, whole, the verse in Romans where it says if we uh, believe in our heart that Christ, uh, Christ rose from the dead. I believe that's how it goes. And we confess with our mouth that, that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. Well, that idea of him being Lord is just the idea of us giving up control of our lives and having him be in control rather than having us be in control. That's really what that means. It's acknowledging that he knows better in our lives and the lives of people around us than we do. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. You know, there's a school of thought in Christianity where we just the let go and let God thought which is nice and it sounds great but god didn't call us to be couch potatoes or pew potatoes i guess would be a more uh, fitting way to put it we depend on him first of all we depend on him to show us where he's at work so that we can join him in his work uh, there's a real blessing to doing that rather than going trudging ahead and then saying lord bless me what i've already decided to do it's saying lord where is it that you would have me to work today what would you have me to do today and not just in a ministry standpoint, what we think of as Christian ministry, but also just in our lives. Saying, Lord, what's the best way that I can glorify you and bless other people today? And it's not only what we do for him and what we do in our, our daily lives, but it's, it's how we do it. We don't work in a way that's manipulative or angry. So much of what happens in church life is trying to get people to do what we want them to do. But instead, it's working in love. It's working to see what's best for the other person. It's giving grace to those that are around us and peace and kindness to those who are all around us. And really what it is is that we trust in God. We're trusting God to take care of us. We're trusting God with the outcomes. In other words, we can work as hard as we can and give everything up to him and say, Lord, whatever you have for me at the end of the day is what I'm going to be satisfied with because my hope and my faith isn't in my work and my ability to accomplish things. Instead, my hope and my faith is in you. My hope and my faith is that you are going to take care of me, you're going to take care of my family, and that we can trust you no matter what happens. And when we reach that point, then we're living as a Christian. Not as a Christian deist, not as a Christian atheist, but as a real Christian. And that's the goal for my life. And I hope it's the goal for your life too, that we know him and we live a life that shows that he really is in control of who we are and what we do. Hope you find that encouraging and a little bit challenging, which it is for me. And again, if you have any questions or comments or anything you'd just like to let me know about, I'd love to hear from you. Go to the blog, it's notesfromtheway.blogspot.com, leave a comment, or send me an email. Email address is nftw at sbcglobal.net, and I do love to hear from you. Now, until next week, God bless.